Well, good morning. It's good to be back with you. Uh, thank you for being here this morning as we worship God together here at St. Mark's. Um, last several weeks, we've been involved in a sermon series that I've called Intervention. And the whole idea of that sermon series was that we were looking at instances in the Scripture of men and women where God seemingly intervened in their lives. And, and then we also were invited to think about moments in our own life where perhaps God intervened in some sort of meaningful way. And yet, that sermon series made some of us a little uncomfortable. Uh, there are some that don't even believe that God intervenes in our life at all. God just sort of set things into motion at the beginning of time, and things just kind of happen the way they happen. And, and there are others of us that have had instances where we're pretty sure that it was God intervening in our life, and yet we also have a lot of moments in our lives where God seemingly didn't intervene. And so, we don't really know what to do with that. Why is it that God intervenes in some moments and not intervene in other moments? And so, I've heard from lots of your Sunday school classes that you've had some great conversation about, does God intervene in our lives? And if God does intervene, then why doesn't God intervene in, in certain situations, whereas God does intervene in certain situations? And I confess to you, I've had some of those same questions. I've been rattling those things around in my mind over the last several weeks. And, and one of the things that I come to realize is that maybe God would intervene more if you and I would allow ourselves to be the vessels through whom God seeks to intervene. Maybe the reason why God hasn't done a lot of things in the world today is because God wants us to be the people that do those things and we haven't been listening. And really that's what motivated this new sermon series that we're starting today. Uh, a sermon series that I'm calling Action Required. Action Required. And in this sermon series, we're not going to focus on what God does. We're going to focus on what God requires. And we're going to stop and think about if we actually did some of these things or were more faithful in seeking to do the things that God requires of us as followers of Jesus would we see more evidence of God's intervention in the world? So today for our text, we're using this passage of Scripture from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And the action required that we're going to focus on today is loving unconditionally. Loving unconditionally. Now, I confess to you that in my 25 plus years as a pastor, I haven't preached on this particular passage of Scripture very often. 
And, and the reason why I haven't preached on this particular passage of Scripture very often is because even if today is the very first time you have ever stepped foot in a church in your entire life, chances are you know something about the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know it's about one person helping another person in need. And then let's be honest, there are a lot of people in this room that have been in church every time the doors were open for your entire life. And I'm guessing that over the course of your lifetime, you've heard this story taught or preached or read so many times that there's really nothing that I could say that would add any kind of a new insight into the text. There's really nothing that I might mention in a sermon that you haven't already thought about or already considered as it relates to this parable of the Good Samaritan. And yet, and yet, maybe just maybe it's worth us listening to and thinking about and reflecting on one more time this morning. Because there may be something new here that you've never heard before. Or maybe if you're like me, you just need to be reminded every once in a while of what is required of us as followers of Jesus. I think it's interesting. A few weeks back in the sermon, I told you that in Luke chapter 9, we're told by Luke that Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem. And Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem because he must go there and be crucified. That's where Jesus is going to die. And yet, isn't it ironic that this man who has now set his face towards the place where he's going to die is met by a man who has a question about how to set his face toward life. A lawyer comes to Jesus and he says, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, we don't know anything about this lawyer's intentions. Luke says the whole reason why that he asked Jesus the question was because he was trying to test him. And so many of us suspect that if he's trying to test Jesus, that there must be a hint of hostility towards Jesus in the question that the lawyer asks. I've got no problem with that interpretation. It seems like a reasonable interpretation. If Luke says that the lawyer wanted to test Jesus, then maybe there was some hostility in the question that he asked Jesus that day. And yet, while that is an appropriate interpretation of the text, let me suggest to you that it might not be the only interpretation of the text. By testing Jesus, what he could mean was is that he just wants to do like scientists when they test their hypothesis. They're, they're looking for the truth. And so... By testing Jesus, it may just be nothing more than two people who seek to know and understand the Word of God to have a conversation together, a dialogue where they can together figure out what is true. 
One reason why we might come to that interpretation is because of the title that the lawyer gives to Jesus when he speaks to him. He calls him teacher, which is a sign of respect in the first century. And what if that's really what the lawyer wanted to know? What if he really wanted to know what the truth is? What if he really did want to know if he was doing enough? If that's the interpretation of the text, then the whole point of the parable might be summed up in what Jesus might have to say to the lawyer. That's a great question. But it's not a question you should be asking me if you're doing enough. If you want to know if you're doing enough, ask the person who's in the greatest need if you're doing enough. Well, it seems to me that instead of answering the question, Jesus turns the tables on the lawyer and He responds to the lawyer's question with a question of His own. And He says, what does the Scripture say? Jesus knew that the Word of God contained the answer to the lawyer's question. Jesus knew that the lawyer should know the answer to the question because lawyers in Jesus' day were more like seminary professors than they were lawyers like we think of them today. This lawyer should have been steeped in the Word of God. He should have known exactly the answer to his own question. Don't you just hate it when people ask questions that they already know the answer to? Tommy, did you leave the milk out on the counter? Well, did you? Well, yeah, I did. I mean, don't you just hate it when people ask Ask a question that they already know the answer to. This guy already knew the question. He already knew the answer to the question. And so Jesus says, what does the Scripture say? And this lawyer just proceeded to say, well, the Scripture says you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And you should love your neighbor as yourself. But apparently, just knowing the right answer to the question is not enough. It's okay. It's important to know the answer. But acting on what you know is really what's important. And so that's why Jesus says to the man, you have answered correctly. Now go and do likewise. Now, I'm told that Jim preached on the story of Naaman last week, and, um, and he talked about how I think there's something that's going on in our Scripture today that was happening in that Scripture last week. You remember Naaman? He knew what he was supposed to do. He knew what he'd been told to do, but he didn't want to do it. And, and, and even if he didn't, maybe not only did he not want to do it, maybe he just thought that there was more that he ought to be doing in order to get what he wanted. I think the same thing is happening in this passage of Scripture today. I, I think that this a lawyer knew exactly what he was supposed to do, but he just didn't want to do it. He just wanted to believe that there had to be more to it than that. And so he responds with a follow-up question to Jesus, and he says, and who is my neighbor? Now, when I hear that question, it implies to me that this lawyer thought that some people are my neighbor and some people aren't my neighbor. 
And so that question is what prompts Jesus to tell this story of the Good Samaritan. Now, we don't know much about the main character in this story. We don't know his race. We don't know his religion. We don't know his trade. All we know is that this man was on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho. Uh, we know that that was a dangerous road. Uh, historians tell us that in this day uh, that that was about a 17-mile stretch of road that was straight downhill. It dropped 3,300 feet from Jerusalem until you got down to Jericho. There were all sorts of uh, places where robbers and bandits and thieves could hide. It was a road that you were told not to ever travel on by yourself because it was so dangerous. And maybe that gives us some insight into this guy. Maybe he just liked to live life on the edge Maybe he just liked to be dangerous. Maybe I'm just reading way too much in it. I don't know. But he's on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho on this dangerous road, and we're told that he is attacked and that he's left half dead. Now, I don't know what image comes up in your mind when you think about somebody laying there half dead, but I think of somebody, you know, like unconscious, on the side of the road, maybe covered in blood. But, but scholars tell us that this word translated half dead literally means writhing and moaning in pain. This is not some guy that just gave the appearance of being dead on the side of the road. This is a guy screaming in agony. But fortunately for this guy, there is a uh, certain man walking by. A priest and a Levite. Fellow travelers on the road. People that would see a person in need and could instantly and immediately respond to the need. And yet what we're told is that upon seeing the man half dead on the side of the road, the priest and the Levite crossed over to the other side and they kept on going. We don't know why they kept on going. Jesus didn't bother to tell us. Uh, maybe they kept on going because they were worried about ritual impurity laws and they were afraid that if somehow they'd come into contact with this man's blood or if he were dead, if they touched a dead body, that they would be ritually impure and could no longer carry out their responsibilities in the temple. Maybe that's why they passed by on the other side. Maybe they passed by on the other side is because they had a long to-do list and this might take a lot of time to address this particular need and this particular situation. And, and, and their thought was, I'm just going to go and arrive at my destination and make sure that they send somebody back to help care for this human being. Maybe that's why they passed by on the other side. Maybe they passed by on the other side is because they didn't like the color of this man's skin. Or maybe they didn't stop and help him because they'd never seen him at their church before. Or maybe they didn't stop to help him because uh, they were more worried about their own agenda and their own way. 
Or maybe they didn't stop to help him because they thought this man brought it on himself. You ought to know that you shouldn't travel by yourself all alone on the road to Jerusalem to Jericho. You brought this on yourself. There have been lots of reasons perhaps why they didn't stop and help him. Jesus never bothers to tell us why they didn't stop. But Jesus does tell us why the Samaritan did. The Samaritan stopped to help the man because he had great compassion for him. The Samaritan stopped because apparently he didn't really care about all the things that were on his to-do list or how long that this might delay him from being able to go on about his day and do what he had planned to do all along. Apparently the Samaritan stopped because he didn't care about the man's race or the man's religion or the man's trade. Apparently the, the Samaritan stopped because uh, it, despite the fact that this might have been his own fault for traveling by himself that ended up with him being half dead on the side of the road. Apparently the Samaritan stopped because he didn't care what color the guy was or what church he worshipped at or whether he'd ever seen him at temple at all. The Samaritan stopped because he had compassion. And that compassion to me looks a lot like unconditional love. Now don't forget this part, folks, because this is perhaps the most important part of the story. Samaritans don't like Jewish people. And the reason why they don't like Jewish people is because Jewish people didn't like them. Jewish people were always looking down on them, considering them half-breeds, considering them less than, considering them worthless. And Samaritans had been on the receiving end of that kind of condemnation and consternation that they had grown to despise Jewish people because of it. And so here you have a new level of meaning to the story. You thought being a good Samaritan was just one person helping another person in need. But what this story is really about is one person helping another person that they can't stand. It's about one person helping another person that they hate. It's about one person helping another person even though the color of their skin is different than yours. It's about help one person helping another person even if what the situation they find themselves, they brought it all upon themselves. It's about unconditional love. We can't get off the hook by just helping people that we like by doing something good for them. We can't get off the hook 
by just helping those that we know will help us back. At its core, this story is about helping those that can't offer anything in return. Helping those that we don't like. Helping those that we hate. When Jesus said, go and do likewise, he wasn't just talking about doing something good for somebody we know and love. He was talking especially about the extra mile of loving those that many in the world would say are unlovable. That's the action that Jesus requires.